Welcome to the fourth season of Coming Out and Beyond LGBTQIA Plus Stories. This is Anne-Marie Zanzel, your host, and I am so excited to share some changes to our podcast that are really great, and I think you'll be as excited as I am about it. First of all, we will be dropping a new podcast every other Friday. This is at the request of our listeners who wanted to hear more. Secondly, my producer, Barb Rowlandson, will be joining me as a conversation partner as we discuss things coming out. Barb is a fellow Leighton Lifer and also the mom of a queer kid, and so she has a lot of insight and experience to share with us. And thirdly, we're going to be focusing also on the beyond. Love to hear your coming out stories, but I want to hear the beyond. Sometimes magical things happen when we come out and we have a life that we could have never imagined. Many of us say this is the best thing that we've ever done. So let's get started. Welcome to the show. Tell me your story. I am so happy to welcome to the show today, John Sovek, a master. He's an MA and LMFT He is a nationally recognized expert on creative affirmative support for LGBTQIA plus teens and their families during the coming out process. He is the author of Out, A Parent's Guide to Supporting Your LGBTQIA plus Kid Through Coming Out and Beyond. I like that name. John is a frequent contributor to numerous publications on providing LGBTQIA support, speaks at conferences nationally, and provides training and professional consultation on LGBTQIA plus competencies for community agencies, schools, and nonprofits. In addition, he consults and trains on the corporate level regarding diversity, equity, and LGBTQIA plus inclusion. John is the clinical consultant for the Life Group LA, adjunct faculty at Phillips Graduate Institute, and guest lecturer at Alrind. How do you say that? University? Alliant. Alliant. I'm sorry. My bad eyes couldn't see the double L. (laughs) Alliant University in Antioch, California, Cal State, Fullerton, and USC Board of Social Work. In December 2019, he was appointed by Governor Gavin Newsom to the California Board of Behavioral Sciences. He's a nationally recognized expert on creating affirmative support for LGBTQIA plus adolescents with his work featured on the Ricky Lakes show, OWN, Fox, The Advocate, Bravo, LA Talk Radio, The Washington Post, and and columns for Huffington Post, Medium, and Good Therapy. John is the host of OutTalk, a monthly web series for OutCare Health. You can learn more about John and his work at johnsovec.com and gayteentherapy.com. John, welcome to the show. Such an impressive bio. Thanks. And you're probably wondering, when do I sleep? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually wondering when you were asleep. But I also know as somebody who is not a, not under 50 anymore, <laughs> that our, our, like, our resumes get longer and longer and longer. I'm not sure where you fall in the age range, but that's me. It's like, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. So I'm so excited to have you on the show, John. Welcome. 
Thank you so much. And I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited about conversing about this new book. It's something that's been a passion project of mine. And, and I just think it's such an important thing to have out in the community for parents of LGBTQIA plus kids and for professionals who are working with them. So um, one of the, the ways I start this podcast is I ask people to tell me your story. And so, John, tell me your story. What is your coming out story? Well, you know, it's fascinating because my official coming out would have been probably when I was 16 in high school. And I'm one of those rare people who had a very supported coming out process. My family was, you know, not not shocked by it. Um, I think there were clues as to who I was quite early. And my friends were incredibly supportive. In fact, it became a, a kind of a thing amongst them as they were trying to fix me up with people. Um, oh. And what's really amazing is I am still close friends with these people that I went to high school, junior high and elementary school with. The other facet of this, so I think, you know, so important to talk about is I would suggest that I knew I was gay probably when I was eight years old. Mm -hmm. Didn't really know what that actually meant. Yeah. Um, But I knew I felt a little bit different than all of my other, you know, guy friends who were, you know, talking about girls and giggling and, you know, talking about squishy parts and all of that stuff. And I remember my very first crush was a friend of mine, Claude, and he was this kind of like wild, just radiant spirit. And there was just, I had this attraction towards him. And, you know, at eight, nine, 10, you don't know what those attractions mean. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's probably when I came out to myself, still not fully comprehending what that would mean. Mm-hmm. So can I ask you, what can, where did you grow up? I grew up in Los Angeles. I actually grew up in the Hollywood Hills, went to Hollywood High School. So, oh, you're an L.A. kid. A real, LA kid. You are a real L.A. kid. So can I ask, were your parents in the like in the um, movie, TV industry or anything like that? So that they had a lot of gay friends and all that. Or was it just no. you think you left? La- I mean, we hose and <laughs> I mean, you you grew up in the epicenter of being gay for a gay man. <laughs> um yeah, no, my parents weren't in the industry at all. My dad worked for a large national uh, clothing company. Unfortunately, it was female clothing, so there wasn't much for me in the closet. <laughs> um, but he worked with that. My mom worked as a teacher. And uh, they were just two very regular people who, you know, just found a way to love me for exactly who I was. I'm really happy for you. And do you think that getting such incredible support from your family and friends around you, which is quite unusual in our community, um, really pointed you to doing this work? I think so. And especially the support from my friends. Mm -hmm. I would suggest for myself personally, that was really important to me at that time, you know, because when I did come out, I was one of those kids who was like on student council, you know, and did all the special fun stuff in school, part of, you know, the theater, you know, uh, productions. And so it meant a lot for me to have my friends still be there for me, even as I let them know just another facet of who I was. So did you end up going into this? So how did you end up going into being an LMFT and, you know, you're a licensed marriage and family therapist? So how did you get into that work? Because I'm going to assume, did that work precede your work with kids and kids coming out and families? (laughs) So with that question, it's like, so how long is this podcast? Um, (laughs) Let me give you the kind of concise version of that. Okay. Um, I have always been one of those people from a very young age that my friends would come to and just 
talk to me about what was going on in their lives. Um, I think I had this empathic side to me from a very young age. And there was a long and winding path of various different careers along the way. And then I reached a point where I realized I need to actually pay attention to this. And I was talking with my therapist and talking about, do you believe that I would be a good therapist? And she was like, yes. <laughs> That's so, lovely. That's nice to get that immediate affirmation, right? Yeah. And then with her help and the help of people around me in my life and lots of talk and consultation, I decided to just take the step and do it. And it's interesting because actually when I was in my master's program, what I discovered really quickly is there was very little conversation about the journey of LGBTQ people in my graduate level program and even less about the work of, of LGBTQ kids and coming out and what they needed in their support. And so what that awakened in me was an idea, this is something that I really want to do, that I want to be there for kids who are coming out so that they can have a supportive space and their parents can have a supportive space. So I went out, got a lot of deep education, did a lot of consultation, and then really, really worked on creating this as my specialty. Mm -hmm. So um, I have worked with people coming out later in life now for five years. That's, that is my, that has been my job. And um, what I have noticed, I would love to talk a little bit about with this with you is the universality of the experience, whether you are 15, 40, you know, 25, 45, or 75, there are some definite things that happen with everybody that comes out. And would you be able to speak to any of that? I'm sure. Well, I think for most people, it is the most anxiety producing moment of their life. Absolutely. No matter what age you're at, there's this, no matter how affirming or supportive your friends are, there's this moment inside of all of us as we come out where our heart beats fast and our palms are sweaty and our body gets cold. And we're really, really anxious about sharing the story with anybody. And I think for lots of us, it's because we've been told these stories of rejection. And we've been told, you know, as a minority, we are outside the norm. And so that's going to bring up anxiety in anybody, no matter what age you are when you're coming out. And that anxiety can be debilitating for a lot of people. And I would imagine in your conversations, assisting people in coming out, it's sometimes just about addressing that anxiety first, and then helping them create the message of how they want to come out, and then creating the support for the fallout of doing that. Mm -hmm. And I find that with, you know, I have always said this, and you may disagree with me, is that when people come out later in life, um, there's a lot of grief involved because there's a lot, a lot of times there's a lot of loss and a loss of identity, loss of marriages, sometimes loss of children and family and all those things like that. And what I have, have often noticed that the difference between, I, I find that what I say the difference is is for sometimes for young people, it's the the grief, uh, the grieving of the loss of the future of they thought they were going to have. While for older queer folks that come out, it's the loss of not only all the things I mentioned before, but also the loss of like their queer youth. Like they didn't get to experience a lot of the things that people, my wife's been out since 1985. She's experienced, you know, she had that life. I did not. And so there is that, that, that sense of loss that I always say, 
paired with this sense of joy. So I always talk about coming out as this experience of holding two opposing emotions at the exact same time, which I think we do more than we talk about. But, you know, I have found that, you know, I was holding this incredible joy with this incredible experience of grief and loss because I, you know, I lost a 27 year marriage and, um, or I left a 27 year, I don't want to say loss, but you know, that marriage ended and it was, it was, you know, I grieved that. So with kids so much, besides, you know, the anxiety, what else is going on for youth when they're coming out? So there's a lot of thoughts I have about everything you just shared. So let me oh. try to unpack it one thought at a time. Okay. I'd love to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah. So The first thing that comes up for me is this idea. It's not just holding about two opposing thoughts. It's actually about holding thousands of thoughts mm-hmm. in your brain at once when anybody at any age is trying to come out. And that is what causes so much of that anxiety. And another thing that, that you know, I work, I work with people on all age spectrums who come out. You know, I have someone recently who came out in their mid fifties mm-hmm. and you're are, you're right. There are layers of grief that play out for everyone. The one thing we find though, is for people who come out in later in life. And I don't know if you had this experience, but oftentimes there'll be a developmental adolescence that actually takes place as they give birth to this new queer identity. Yeah, absolutely. We call it, we call it our, we actually call it our second adolescence within the community. And I sort of argue that, no, it's actually a first one because we never really had a first one. Because when you're trying to fit into compulsory heterosexual norms, when you're young, um, you're just sort of doing what everybody else is doing and, (laughs) and not really exploring you, you know, and what you desire and what you want. So besides that, what are some other things? Well, and then also you talk about the grieving process. Mm -hmm. And this is something I talk about in the book. And I talk about with families. I talk about kids. I talk with anyone who is looking to come out. There is a process of grieving. But what I tell people, it's not a parent grieving that their kid is gay. It's actually grieving the idea of the dream they had of their child when they were born. So most parents, they have birth, they get the kid put in their arm for the first time, they look into its little eyes and they project forward an entire lifetime for it, where it's going to be, you know, the captain of the football team, head cheerleader, a valedictorian, go away to college, you know, become a doctor and then buy the house next door and put up a picket fence and have, have you know, grandkids and, and golden retrievers and all of these pieces of the puzzle. And when their kid comes out, that dream gets shattered. I think it's so important to share that process with parents and give them some space to actually grieve that dream so they can then open up and realize that their kid can still have all of these amazing things. It's just going to play out differently than they imagined. And they expected. Absolutely. Um, You know, I always have said that too. And I think that's true with a lot of, you know, when our kids don't follow the expected norms, no matter what it is. Like I have had friends who have had children that have are special needs and grieving what they thought this child's life was going to be. And as a mom, um, my second child came out as um, non, uh, non-binary and now they are, call themselves trans. And And even though I work in this space and I was super happy for them, not surprised um, at all, um, it was really hard because I was grieving the child that I once knew 
and and now they are they use they them pronouns now they are going somewhere else and so it, it like for example small little example when people ask me how many kids i have i go i have one daughter one non-binary child and two sons and you know i'm i agree i miss saying you know the easy oh i have two of this and two of that you know <laughs> But it it is one of, you know, as a parent, that's one of those things we don't talk about a lot is like, even though I'm fully supportive of this child, I still grieve the fact that the expected norms that I thought they were going to follow, even though they were post-college, they weren't, they're not going to do anymore. And so I was, it was, it was really just, it was a real, it was a tough feeling, you know, and I was sort of like upset with myself for having that feeling. But I know that's the thing, though, is I actually want parents to know that this is going to be a process Mm -hmm. because it gives you a space to go inside and look at your own feelings, your own emotions, what you're going through. And for all of us walking through the world, we do have to check in with ourselves on a constant and regular basis. The other thing I do, too, that I think is so important is I also let the, the kids know, like, look, you and I have been talking about this for a while. You've been processing this for a while. Your parents have just been informed. Can we please give them some space to go through their yeah. process? And I think it's important for the entire family to know, because coming out is a family process. Yes, your kid may be the one who puts the pebble in the middle of the pond. But that pond then ripples out and influences parents, it influences siblings, it influences extended family, it influences your family's experience of being out in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's so, so important to give a space to process those emotions. So then you can work with them, be present with them, move through them, and then be the most powerful and supportive parent you can be. Yes, absolutely. Um, I also think that. Um, you know, when people are processed, I always talk about that with my clients as well, because a lot of times my clients, it depends, you know, sometimes people, you know, it it's just sort of hits them out of the bolt, like they never, ever thought they were not straight, because that's where I start with, with my clients is like, we just start with, hey, I think I may not be straight. <laughs> that's like where we start. And um, what I have found is that I have said the same thing is that, you know, we have to give our um, uh, families sometimes some time to adjust because they um, it may be something we may have been thinking about for years, but for them, this is new information. And so sometimes when my my it's my um, clients telling their parents, you know, um, just like yours, um, that a lot of times, you know, their parents aren't, you know, can be super acceptive or, uh, or upset they're getting divorced from their spouse, all those things like that. And so, you know, giving people some time to adjust to the new information is, I think, really critical and really key. Yeah. And one of the things that can come up sometimes, too, I would imagine with people you work like their spouses and the people around them is this this question of what did they do wrong? Mm. I get this from parents. And first of all, I appreciate that they're willing to be this honest with me. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I move into very quickly is this idea. So in the process of questioning if you did something wrong, that's actually sending out a message that you believe there's some damage that has been done to your child by them being LGBTQIA+. Mm-hmm. And we need to dive into that question to move through it. 
Because ultimately, as a parent, there is nothing you can do right or wrong that influences your kid's sexual orientation or gender identity. It is a facet of who they are. And mm -hmm. that is such an important piece of the puzzle for all the people surrounding the person coming out to understand it is not about you. It is actually about this person blossoming, opening, bringing their authenticity into the world. And let's support that because what a beautiful thing to be included in. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you say that it's not about you because so many times people will come out and and the person they're telling makes it all about them. Um, in my community, a lot of times people will come out and my wife always said this, you know, um, she goes, you need a full embrace. And I was like, I didn't know. She goes, you're getting a lot of half embraces. And I had no idea really what she was talking about until I got a full embrace. Because a lot of times when I came out to people, they would be like, oh, how are the kids? How's Jim? Who's my ex-husband? And I'm like, well, it's not about, but you know, it was such a journey for me. And then um, at first I had to answer all those questions. And then I started to get tired and I wondered why I was tired. And then when my, um, I told my youngest son's uh, youth group leader for church, and I was telling her what was going on. And she goes, Oh, Amory, I'm so excited for she was 30. I'm so excited for you. I'm happy for you. That's such great news. None of the other questions. And when you give your child a full embrace, because I often hear parents say, I love you no matter what. <laughs> like you robbed the grocery store and you're in yeah. trouble with the police, you know? So I, I I really appreciate what you said, that it's a joyous and actually a celebratory thing, but and not something with with like, oh, what did I do wrong? Because your child is wonderfully and perfectly made no matter what. Yeah. And riffing on something that you just said, too, as well, I actually push against the word acceptance. Mm hmm. Because what I hear the word acceptance, if you really look at the meat of the definition of it, it's like, I know there's something wrong with you. But mm -hmm. I'm going to be the bigger person and be okay with it. Yes. I encourage, and you'll find it throughout the book, is I use the word affirm, affirm, love, be present with. These are ways that we can give that full embrace you're talking about. So it's not a question of you're damaged and I'm going to bring you into the fold. It's more about I see you and I hear you and I want to be present with you. And the number one thing I tell every parent in the book is when your kid comes out to you, the first thing you are to do is to hug them tight, hold them tight and tell them I love you. If you can bring that moment into the process, you have set a foundation that can open up so many doorways in the future. Okay, so my question is, is what if I'm sure there are parents that buy your book when they're like, oh, I am messing this up so bad. <laughs> like, And I have kids, so I've messed up plenty in my life. I am messing this up so bad. So you're, the, a parent buys your book, they're reading it. What you just said is perfect and exactly what you should do. If, if, if you can. And um, what if the parent is like, oh my goodness, I've made some mistakes. Like I shouldn't, oh, I should have, I shouldn't have said that, or I should have done this. What do you advise parents when they need to sort of maybe backpedal a little bit on how they've been reacting to the whole experience? Well, first off, welcome to being a parent. <laughs> you are expected and invited to make mistakes. And the thing is, is to take ownership of those moments, is to be willing to say, hey, I said something 
recently or even a while ago, and I now have learned more. And I want to come forward to you and let you know this new information I have. Um, make these moments not about you, oh my God, I messed up so badly, I'm so sorry, I'm the worst, I'm the awful, because that does, it makes it all about you. Instead be, hey, I learned something, I read John's book, I now realize this is what I really wanted to communicate to you when you came out, or this is a way that I wanna support you as we've been working through this process together and be there to start that affirming conversation again. Mm -hmm. John, do you work with trans kids, I'm assuming as well? I do, yes. Yeah. Um, how is that different for families um, from like a, a cis kid coming out as, you know, as gay or a lesbian or bi or something like that? How is that different? Fam is it different for families? And what are the what are the best practices that people can do um, to love their trans kid for who they are? Mm -hmm. I believe that it is a slightly different process. And mm -hmm. here's why. What I find from most parents that I work with is a kid coming out about their gender identity questions the whole fabric and the history of the family. Oftentimes when kids are young, they're named because the parents are, are making a salute to someone in the family or choosing a name that they feel powerful about. Or they've just picked up that baby book at the grocery store and <laughs> picked out the ones in the R section. But there's been this assignment. And then remember, we learn about gender from our families, from our communities. And so when, as a trans non-binary kid, you come out, you are pushing against all of those social constructs that your family has designed around you. So it can be really challenging for the kid, and it can be really challenging for the parent willing to be to unpack all of those ideas of gender that they have placed upon their kid and to open up to new possibilities of gender. You know, all the time I hear questions from parents like, oh, why are there so many different names and this and that? And why is everyone exploring their gender nowadays? And I push back and say, I think it's amazing. I think it's exciting. When I we all grew up, it's like, hey, are you male or female? Or, hey, are you gay or, you know, are you gay or lesbian? I mean, are you right. gay or straight? I mean, yeah. you know, the, you, you chose a team and that's the team you were on. Yeah. And the thing yeah. that's so beautiful is kids these days are asking these deeper questions about gender and sexual orientation. They're not just willing to accept this binary that adults have handed to them. Mm -hmm. and I think there's so much beauty and power in that. And I try and help parents see that, you know, and there are layers to a trans non-binary kid coming out. You know, initially, it's more of a, a conceptual thing. But then we start moving towards pieces of social transition, a kid wanting to live in their affirmed name, their affirmed pronouns, their affirmed genders. We hit this first speed bump along the way. And for me, it's important to guide parents through that to create a space where they're willing to support their kid in that journey. Yes, there are going to be questions of safety depending on the community they're in. But that's where opening these conversations can be a space where you can help your kid manage those problems and those challenges. The biggest hurdle we do is when we hit pieces where a kid wants to go into some type of medical transition. Mm -hmm. Now, we're in a world right now where there's lots of fear mongering and hate language about medical transition. 
And what most people don't understand is for a lot of trans non-binary kids, the first piece of that is simply going to be gender affirming hormone therapy. Mm-hmm. And if we look at younger kids who are pre-puberty, they're going to be going on puberty blockers, which are such a valuable piece of this transition because they allow kids to only have to go through one puberty in their lifetime. Absolutely. Now, I don't know about you, but puberty, whew, it's not a fun <laughs> thing to go through. So, no, actually, I was, I've been through I've been through adolescence. Twice, uh-huh. so, yeah, yeah I but get could it. Could you imagine going through the physical experience of puberty twice? Yeah, it's a painful thing. So puberty blockers can really help with that. Also, too, when we move into gender affirming hormone therapy, what we're doing is helping a kid to align their physical presence with the essence of who they are inside. And the fear mongering is all about these mutilation surgeries. You have to understand that most trans (laughs) non-binary people may not choose to actually move into surgical modification. And those that do often do so after they're 18 when they're adults and they're making these choices differently. And so if we look at the actual storyline of how this works and you can help parents understand that, it's going to alleviate a lot of their fears that are gonna come up in this process. Because what's the one, one, number one, well, actually number two thing that you as a parent probably do. You love your kids. And then number two, you want to keep them safe. And Mm -hmm. so we come into this medical stuff. That's where parents' heartstrings get pulled because we're doing something to my kid's body. And by creating an informed process, it allows them to then join their kid and move and be part of the support team. I have some questions because of what's going on in the news. Um, <laughs> I have lots of thoughts about what's going on in the news. <laughs> well, as a mother, I am horrified that the government, well, they may try to make all kinds of decisions as a woman too, but as a mother, I feel like it is so horrifying that the government is trying to make decisions about um, a, a, a parent's choice for their child and entering into the medical room because that is none of the government's business. Um I have had several friends that have trans friends that have left states that have become very um, dangerous for trans folks and trans kids. If you are taught, if you were talking to a trans parent right now who has to think or consider leaving their state because of what's going on, what is your biggest piece of advice for them? If you have the financial ability to do it, Leave. Yeah. I understand that it is a big process, and some families may not have the financial means to be able to do this. But what we're seeing is already with so far this year, when we're recording this, there are over 500 anti LGBTQ bills up in different states around the country. Over 220 of those are trans, anti trans um, bills. And we need to understand that this is becoming a very dangerous time, especially for our trans and non-binary community. And the other thing that's happening with this is kids, because of social media, because of their awareness these days, are seeing all of this messaging that's being put out and telling them that they are less than and that they are awful and that they are not part of a community and you're being rejected and you're, you're evil. Kids don't have the ability to process this. We are seeing our suicide rates amongst LGBTQI plus kids rising dramatically. It's really fascinating because we had been doing really well 
um, pre-pandemic with uh, the, the direction and support that was moving around yeah. in the world, we're finding that, that we are creating more affirming spaces, more affirming schools. And now we've reversed that um, because of a previous administration and what's going on now in the world. And so these suicide rates are rising dramatically. And that's a thing that I think parents need to understand when you're facing this, you know, do we move to support our trans kid? Is there is a high likelihood that your trans kid, I think it's up to 41% trans kids will attempt suicide, not think about suicide, but attempt suicide. And then if we look at trans kids of color, those numbers are even higher. Mm -hmm. Your kid's life matters. And if the only way they see of dealing with the pain that they're experiencing in their world is to take their own life, you need to be aware of that. And also too, for, for children, like to make that move for your child, even though it's difficult and it's hard. And there are now organizations springing up to help um, uh, trans folks move. Um, actually, while you were talking, Lazarus, who's a friend of mine, I see, I see the message and I'm like, oh, Laz must be. No, we're talking about trans folks right now because uh, he is helping, you know, move people because he is in the state of um, Missouri. And so he's tra helping, you know, he's trans and he's helping trans folks move, move. And so what I was thinking is that, you know, there is even though like these horrible things are happening and. Um, I think it's so if you move for your child, it shows them that they are valued and that they matter and they are worth moving so that they are safe and are in a state where this is a non-issue. Um, I'm a little worried because, you know, anyway, we don't need to get into all that, but <laughs> moving in a state that's non, that's a truly a non-issue. There are states that are adding more um, affirmative stuff gender affirmative care for trans folks and stuff like that and not taking them away. Mm -hmm. So um, one more question about what if you are a parent and you're like, okay with everything, but your spouse is not, I'm sure you talk about this in the book. How do you, how do you navigate all this? Well, first of all, usually the spouse that's affirming has read my book. <laughs> I encourage them to hand the book to the non-affirming parent. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes our, our, our opinions are based on fear. And if a parent's job is to love their child, we said love first, safety second, mm -hmm. then creating information channels that will help that fear-based story be released a little bit is one of those first steps that can help. The other thing too is for parents to make sure that they're getting support so that they can look at attending you know, a local PFLAG meeting, or if that's not available, finding one online, to create spaces where those fears can be heard. And remember, a lot of the stuff that we learn about who the queer community is are based on things that are, are salacious and are fear-based. And if we look around and really try and find those healing and healthy stories, such as a lot of stories you've told on your podcast here, that those are really important places to help someone move through their fear. And I have to be honest, I say this in the book as well. If you have a spouse and it feels like it is dangerous for your kid to be supported in the household, you may need to look inside and make some serious decisions there as well too. Um, 
do you need to find ways to keep your kids safe, moving in with parents, you know, moving out? If those are possibilities and it's that extreme, I think it's really important because the number of homeless youth on the streets who are LGBTQIA who got kicked out of their houses is enormous. And I don't think any parent really wants their kids ending up on the streets. Again, breaks my heart that that happens to people. And I know Trevor Project has been keeping the the statistics about kids. And and yes, I've read that that suicide is up among LGBTQ youth, which is truly, truly heartbreaking. So when should a parent go and buy your book? (laughs) Like, you know, unfortunately, kids never, you know, Kids often some often don't give us any warning. (laughs) (laughs) And how, you know, yes, how when should they go buy and go buy your book? I mean, I mean, like, when is the best time, the optimal time? And it's never too late to buy it even, right? I would say the perfect time is when you give birth to a child. Ah, that's a really good idea. Because here's the thing: kids at a very young age figure out if their family is affirming of LGBTQI people, whether it's kind of overt things of like messages of we hate that community or smaller things like, oh, there's a news item about, you know, queer people, let's change the channel, that they pick up on this information. And it's really, really fascinating. There have been studies have done that look at how young kids actually figure out if their household is affirming or not. And we're looking at kids as young as four or five who are picking up those messages. And remember, we may be exploring our gender identity and sexual orientation at those really young ages. And so it's important for parents to understand that. So for me, if you're going to be a parent, pick it up. Um, <laughs> I, next I agree stage, with you. Next stage is adolescence, because when puberty sets in, that's when most of us in the community start really understanding who we are and how we want to present that in the world. Yeah. And if you realize that if your kid comes out to you, go to Amazon and just order it then. It'll be there in less than 24 hours. It'll be immediately if it's on Kindle. (laughs) And you are right. For parents who feel like maybe they haven't taken all the best steps along the way, find this book. It will help you. Well, you know, ironically, John, so many of the things you're saying is actually really good for people who are coming out themselves because some like in my I do mutual support groups. And in some of the groups we do is one of we have a worksheet in which what what were the message you were told about being gay when you were young? Um, What language did your family use? And what people have come to find out is that you know, there are people that grow up with super homophobic persons that use slurs and and it's just awful, but it's often more subtle than that. And, you know, like, oh, oh, that, you know, like, oh, there's, there's a lesbian couple that lives next door, you know, Mm -hmm. or something like that. So I'm going to, all right, I'm going to go out and get your book. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to argue that I bet my, my folks that are coming out later in life could really, you know, just use these practice because so many of, so much of what you've said today, um, I've, I've thought about or have talked with other people about. And so that really goes back to this experience this is really universal experience, no matter what age you are. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's something that we as people in the LGBTQIA plus community can also do is when we come out and we feel affirmed in ourselves and we feel the strength in that identity is be willing, if it feels safe, to be open about that. 
Mm-hmm. So my husband and I are very much open about who we are as a couple. Even at the gym, like we took a spin class last night and I was heading home and he was going to stay and work out a little bit more. We kissed goodbye right there in the gym. Mm-hmm. So this is not the quote unquote, putting it in your face. It's about actually trying to express this idea that we are a beautiful, loving couple, and we're just saying goodbye, I'll see you later. And we always say, I love you when we separate like that. Mm -hmm. I think that's powerful. I think Mm -hmm. it's beautiful when we can just be the couple in the neighborhood. And when the kid next door has that Thanksgiving pie sale, they come over and ask us if we want to buy a pie. That we're not this salacious, scary thing, but we're actually Mm -hmm. part of the fabric of our community. And that right there is usually where the biggest amount of change can come. Yes, we want the government to create supportive bills. We want Title IX to step in and protect LGBTQIA plus kids in schools. But by us living proud and open lives on a grassroots level, if someone knows who we are as queer people, that's how we're going to make change start to flood over this country. I absolutely agree because my wife and I are pretty out. So <laughs> it's, it is generally very good. Um, you know, you're going to laugh at this. Um, so when Tanda and I, my, we were first dating, you know, I was just out. This was like six weeks into our relationship and we go to a lesbian bar and we kissed or something this little drunk girl comes up to us and says, oh I just want to leave you like you guys <laughs> and we laughed we've been together like a couple of weeks we were like yeah okay <laughs> the universe was just giving you some information saying hey by the way this one's gonna last <laughs> yeah absolutely well John it was I would love to hear what your coming out song was did you have one So for me, my favorite like coming out energy is it's an odd song, but it's a wonderful song. It's Believe from Cher. Oh, because I do believe there's love after all the things we go through, after all the moments, whether it's a breakup, whether it's being separated from our family, whether it's being torn apart inside. Let's believe, believe in love. It's there Mm -hmm. for us. And, you know, if you put it on, you have to dance anyways. And why not? (laughs) And of course it's Cher. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Why not? Um, So a book or a movie that sort of just took your perspective and shifted it. So there is an E.M. Forrester book called uh, Morris. It's spelled Maurice for us Americans, but it's pronounced Mm -hmm. Morris. And there was a movie made out of that quite a few years ago. And it is a really beautiful idea of exploring how we need to live authentically. In the course of the movie, a gentleman who knows he's gay, this is, I think, Edwardian England, like the status of it, like locks him down a lot of ways. And he falls in love with a stable boy and then denies that. And then at the end, happy ending, runs away with the stable boy. But it was so beautiful to watch that this conversation of social pressure has been on us for years and that when we push against it, we can actually find our our true, beautiful, affirmed, loving, kind selves. Amen. (laughs) Um, So how would you describe your life today? It sounds like your work is incredibly meaningful to you. Is it like, have you, it's your purpose? Yeah. You know, I was one of those people from very early in life, I actually got messaged to understand what my purpose in this lifetime was. And it's a simple one, it's to heal. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes that energy is directed to being there to help others to heal, but it's also been my journey to heal myself in this lifetime. 
And it's been a really powerful, wonderful experience. And if I were going to describe my life right now, I would say it's passionate. Mm-hmm. Whether it's coming here and talking with you today or going to see a music concert, my husband and I are music freaks. We will see anybody singing anywhere on the stage. It's just <laughs> our passion. It's what we you love. You got to come to Nashville then. Oh, I lived in Nashville for a little bit, actually. Oh, really? Oh, I live in Nashville. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so that passion, it's also the passion about like I planted my vegetable garden. It's the passion about I love to bake. It's the passion about my husband and I as as sexual beings in the world. I think passion is the best word to use to describe my life right now. Sounds very joyful. I'll live in that. You'll live in that. Well, John, how do people find you if they hear this podcast today and they're like, I got to talk to this guy? <laughs> how do they find you? <laughs> so some of the best ways are to go to my website, which is johnsovec.com. That's S-O-V-E-C. Um, if you're a parent, you can find more information at gayteentherapy.com. And of course, go to your local bookstore or go on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or any of those booksellers online. And you can find my book out, A Parent's Guide to Supporting Your LGBTQIA Plus Kid Through Coming Out and Beyond. Thank you, John. And thank you so much for all the work you do. It is truly, truly important work. And I'm so glad I had an opportunity to interview you today. Thank you. You've been listening to Coming Out and Beyond, LGBTQIA plus stories with Anne-Marie Zanzel. New episodes of the Coming Out and Beyond podcast drop every other Friday. You can tune in at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and at annemariezanzel.com. Be sure to hit subscribe when tuning in so you never miss an episode. And for more resources, articles, videos, and a free downloadable guide for coming out later in life, visit annemariezanzel.com.